Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast from the Australian Men's Shed Association, shoulder to shoulder, virtually. Hello and welcome to The Shed Wireless. On today's show, some advice, a warning, a few laughs, and don't be surprised if you want to shed a tear as we catch up with AMSA board chairman Paul Sladden. We head to Albany, Western Australia, where they are back in the shed. After mounting a brilliant support program for shedders during lockdown, Professor John McDonald talks vulnerability, manhood and the power of supporting with silence. Stuart helps you save a few dollars and maybe save the world while you're at it. And Rip has taken off his boots and checked his environmental footprint. That and a whole lot more ahead of us. I'm Aaron Carney. The Australian Men's Shed Association Executive Officer is David Helmers. Hello. Hello, Aaron, and good to see you face-to-face, mate. First time for a long time in the same room. Remarkable, and we're maybe not 1.5 metres, but we're 1.2 metres away from each other. And uh, as I say, we've been talking to Albany. I know there's a few places in New South Wales as well. We're starting to get... We're starting to get back to a bit of normality. I'd say probably a rough guess around 30% of the sheds are open now and others are making their step-by-steps you know, to, to, to start opening in the next couple of weeks. But we've noticed some of those sheds too that are coming back and we appreciate this. I think we've got to you know, value this. A lot of the guys in the sheds are emphasising they're treating cautiously. They might be coming to the shed once a week or some of them said, yeah, we'll give it another week or two and see what happens before we come back. So, yeah, we just have to emphasise that, you know, do what you want to do and treat it cautiously as well. So, but most of the sheds are reporting back that they're opening and, you know, dusting off the machines and making them all dusty and dirty again. And there's a few projects that have been on the shelf that are going to be pulled off the shelf. Now, I'm particularly excited about our mailbag this week, and I've got a few dispatches to share this week. The first one is from Corn Men's Shed in South Australia. First of all, they have been sharing through their newsletter the links to the Shed Wireless so everyone can hear it. So hi to everyone who has found us via that method. But they also shared with us a video done by their member, Rob Stanford, And it's taken from a timeline of photos of construction of bowl storage boxes for the Corn Bowling Club to be used for the storage of bowls used by young members when practising. So if you're a serious bowler, you tend to have your own kit. But if you do the barefoot Saturday afternoon thing, which is an outreach that a lot of the clubs are doing. Yeah, it's becoming very popular, the barefoot Sunday bowls. I see it down my local club quite regularly. But they tend not to come equipped. So you need decent bowls boxes for the bowl storage. Well, the video is remarkable. We talk about the sophistication that's happening in the sheds, the way, first of all, the video has captured it, but also the way these boxes have been put together is something else. There's some sophisticated work going on. Oh, there is, there is. You know, some of the guys, you know, I've always been amazed at, one, the diversity, but two, the talent some of the guys in the sheds have and, you know, the product they can make is just absolutely mind-blowing. And there was a lot of work went into that video. So thank you, Dave, for being in touch. Hi to everyone in Corn and throughout South Australia. Also, I wanted to mention some correspondence from Jim. He says, Aaron, 
Working with dementia five years in the future was mentioned in episode number five. Yes, it was. We were talking about uh, future focus and what might be the challenges that emerge in coming years and how we might address them. Uh, But Jim wanted to let us know that South Canberra Veterans Shed and Majura Men's Shed are collaborating with Dementia Australia. So apparently what's happening is they're making flat pack planter boxes for Dementia Australia. Then one group with the appropriate ability assembles them, passes them on to the next group who base paint them, and then a final group decorate with flowers. And they're sold through various outlets using some of the proceeds to buy more stock. Uh, Jim says it mightn't be exactly what you had in mind, but has started the journey. The thing is, Jim, it's exactly what we had in mind because we said we're going to need uh, local innovative responses to this sort of thing. And it sounds exactly like that's what it is. Yeah, and look, the the whole idea there and the working with Dementia Australia brings me back many, many years ago, South Australia, there was a bit of research done there by Keith Bettany, and we put this, I remember doing this over a lot of our Senate submissions back into Men's Health on Keith's work there, and there was a, a famous one where they were getting dementia patients to put together, using their hands and skills, uh, put together flat-packed toolboxes and there was this case where one, this one gentleman hadn't spoken a word for years and he was given this flat pack toolbox to put together and he turned around and looked at the nurse there and said, the holes need to be countersunk. <laughs> and after she picked herself up off the floor, Keith wrote, he said, this is amazing, that's bringing back some familiarity. Uh, so it is a, a very much a worthwhile venture there. Yeah, fantastic. However, for correspondence to the Shed Wireless at menshed.org, we have saved something very special till last this week. So this came from Barry at Butterham, but he's not taking credit for it. It's a piece of poetry that has been penned by Noel, who is a member of the Butterham Shed, and immortalised for us right here, right now, by the immortal Rip Woodchip. I think it speaks for itself. Take a listen. Back to the Shed by Noel Williams. That nasty old virus is now on the wane and soon we'll be back in our shed once again. Oh, what a thrill as we drive through the gates to catch up again with all of our mates. Back to the comradeship that we have missed. The banter, the laughter, what absolute bliss. At morning tea time, we'll be back around the table and telling tall stories and many a fable. And won't it be wonderful hearing once more the sounds of the hammers, the planer and saw. And we know our enthusiasm won't be diminished as we pick up on jobs that have been left unfinished. So we'll busy ourselves like bees in a hive and we'll realise how great it is being alive. We'll think of the good times that still lie ahead because we are the members of the Butterham Men's Shed. David, I think that is putting in words what a lot of people are feeling right now. Uh, very much so. And, you know, we hear it all, all the time. Everyone's dying to get back to the shed and create a bit of sawdust or man candy, as they like to refer to it, <laughs> and, you know, interact with their mates again. So uh, well done to the guys to Noel up at Budrum for penning that together. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, Rip, for bringing it to life for us as well. And I believe at the Men's Shed Online, there's a bit of encouragement for you to share some poetry, either original or a favourite piece. And as you can hear, we absolutely love hearing from you so please keep the correspondence coming it can just be as simple as hey we're listening give us a shout out at this shed and it would be our pleasure to do so 
Something a bit special for you coming up now. It's a wide-ranging chat. We explore some real practicalities, give you some advice if you are working in a shed through to learning uh, some colourful history and a pretty emotional admission as well as some advice. Uh, That's all ahead when we talk to the chairman of AMSA, Paul Sladden. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. Some episodes ago here on The Shed Wireless, we were joined by the chairman of the Australian Men's Shed Association Board to speak with the Governor-General, and I encourage you to find and listen to that chat if you haven't already. It was an interesting one, but I said at the time that we would have a proper catch-up with Paul Sladden in his capacity as AMSA chair. He is not an easy man to find a window with, and you'll find out why in just a moment, but we've managed to do it. Hello, Paul. Aaron, how are you? Very well, thank you. I didn't have the Governor-General to bring to the table this time, so you're a bit harder to get time (laughs) with this. Generally, if I bring the Queen's representative, you turn up. Well, yes, yes, yes. I had to turn up for that one, and uh, (laughs) um, you're right. I'm with you. I encourage anybody who hasn't had a listen to it to uh, do so, because it was a very fascinating chat. He's a very interesting man and um, very genuine person. Uh, I'm really impressed with him. I think he's doing a great job. Very representative of Australia, uh, ambitious, um, accomplished, but also very grassroots and realistic. And I think that's the best version of Australia is exactly that. Yeah, yeah. No, certainly a very grounded man. Probably describes you pretty well as well. Can you give us an idea of a few of the hats that you wear? Because there are many. Uh, There's a couple, Aaron. My, uh, My real job, that is, the, uh, the job that pays the mortgage on my house. <laughs> I'm what's known as a network manager. So what that basically means is that um, I manage a network of 26 neighbourhood houses and community centres in the Goulburn and northeast region of Victoria. Uh, so this is through the state government's neighbourhood house coordination program. And my role is to support the managers of those centres and also their committees of management so I do their governance training, I do their policy development, I assist the managers with their professional development and also you know, grant funding, assistance, resources for, again, policies, procedures, etc. So that's what keeps me busy uh, most of the time. I'm also a councillor with Fansfield Shire Council. Uh, this is my eighth year on, uh, on council, previous mayor and deputy mayor. Yeah, and then there's the men's shed. That's that's all. Why do you feel compelled to be involved on so many different fronts? Uh, To me, it's all about community development. Um, I'm a strong believer in community development, particularly at the local level. I get annoyed with people who tend to snipe from the sidelines. I used to be one of those angry people that wrote letters to the editor. And then I thought, well, instead of sniping from the sidelines, try and be a part of the solution. So... Uh, that's my motivation for putting my hand up to get involved within the local community and you know, being on council enables me to, to have a say. I see sheds as an extension of that as well. And of course, the whole role of neighbourhood houses and community centres is uh, community development at the local level. How did you come to be involved with sheds? Uh, well, it was through a neighbourhood house uh, area. I was managing, I managed a house for 16 years. It was an adult education organisation in Mansfield. And uh, it was during that time 
that I saw a letter in the local paper from a chap who was interested in starting up a men's shed uh, here in Mansfield. And I was aware of men's sheds through my um, neighbourhood house role. And so I contacted this chap and I said, look, happy uh, to meet with you and why don't you have the uh, have a public meeting and we'll do it at our premises. So that's what we did. So we uh, called a public meeting. We got quite a few people involved, set up a steering committee and then it took us four years to get the funding. And yeah, we set up uh, the Mansfield Shed. And so that was my introduction to it. I was involved with the Victorian Men's Shed Association and uh, I'd been attending all the um, the AMSA national conferences and was at the Hobart conference that I got tapped on the shoulder by one of the Victorian Association committee and they said, come and join the committee. And I said, oh, I don't know about that, mm. but obviously I probably had too many at the conference dinner <laughs> and so I agreed. Or not enough, depends which way you look at <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, that's right, mate. So I, anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I joined the committee there and um, ended up president there for six years and then got involved with AMSA through that way. I accept the well-being and the health benefits, particularly the mental health benefits in terms of isolation uh, with men's sheds, but I also see that community development. And I love seeing blokes who may have disconnected from their community, but uh, once they get back in into the shed, that's an avenue for them to reconnect with their community. What value do you think you bring to the movement as chairman of AMSA? Look, I suppose it's my governance knowledge and skills but also my you know, strong belief in community development. I have a very uh, wide network of, of uh, associates that I can tap into, you know, the various roles that I've done and, you know, and still do that allows me to have access to all levels of society, if you like, and I can, you know, I can call upon people for advice, uh, for direction, but just over the years, the you know the skills I've built up in that you know community empowerment, that community engagement area is really what I I see I can bring most to the movement. There is actually quite a tension between the idea of governance, which is high levels of transparency and process and treatment of money and guidance by law. And there's a bit of a tension between that and the grassroots community everyday low barrier to participation idea of sheds or any number of other development ideas. How do you marry up that tension? The way that I would look at that or the way I do look at that is that you know, those structures are necessary. If we don't have those structures in place, then it just becomes chaos. So having those structures in place is, you know, is paramount yeah. in any movement, in any situation, uh, but then at the same time allowing the flexibility or, or the freedom, if you like, to be able to adapt those structures to whatever the situation may be. So you know, allowing that grassroots um, voice and ensuring, I mean, again, that's what uh, community development's all about, is you now empowering people to have a voice. So they need to be involved. And so having that grassroots input is um, extremely important. And um, I believe that the structures that we do have in place um, allow that to happen. Let me put a, virtually the same question to you a different way. If I'm some shed manager 
in a small rural town somewhere in Australia. And I, like you, just fell into it somehow. <laughs> Didn't have enough drinks at the dinner and <laughs> fell into it somehow. And now I find myself having to do some of that governance stuff. What advice would you offer? My advice is to seek help. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. You know, the shed movement's been going for 20 years or more now. Um, it's been done before. There are people out there who can assist you. Sheds and shedders love helping other sheds. They freely will share their information and their experiences. There's also the resources that are available uh, through AMSA. We have professional staff in there that can assist you. Don't try and do it alone and don't try and invent the wheel. Reach out and utilise what resources uh, are already there. Solid advice. How are you on the tools? You don't sort of have a blue-collar background, do you? Uh, no, I do not. My, uh, <laughs> much to the uh, disgust of my late father, because uh, he was a carpenter, he was a builder. Yeah, right. But yes, during school holidays, I used to get dragged out to um, you know, hold the other end of the bit of the wood or throw the uh, sheets of iron up onto the roof. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, I've mentioned a few times that basically we started building a house. Uh, my dad started building a house when I was five years old and it wasn't done when I left for university. <laughs> so I, I felt like I did a blue-collar childhood, so I didn't need to do a blue-collar adulthood. I, I digress. What is your background in terms of well, I'm deliberately dancing, and I use that term advisedly. I'm dancing around the point. Yeah, tell us, yeah. Tell us, you. tell us your yeah, dark okay, secret from okay. the past. From the dark past, okay. <laughs> oh, good on you, Aaron. Thank you for raising me. <laughs> <this>. and, uh... <laughs> hey, if I have to come on here and bear my soul, you have to as well. Oh, dear me. Okay, well, this is really going to... Uh... <laughs> Shred my credibility. I don't know about uh, that. No, 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 I no. don't know about that. No, no, no. Look, I'm, 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 I'm quite proud of it. But um, yeah, I, I do have a performing arts background. So um, I went to uh, to college. I went to Rosden State College here in uh, Victoria. It doesn't exist anymore. And the main faculties at that college were physical education and performing arts. Well, I can tell you I didn't enrol in physical education, although what I did do was rather physical. So within performing arts, I did drama and dance. Uh, after graduating, I uh, went uh, working in a dance company in Tasmania, the Tasmanian Dance Company. I did a number of uh, theatre and education company uh, stints as well. So uh, yes, I do have a performing arts background, but it's all part of the uh, you know the well-roundedness uh, <laughs> of the individual, Aaron. The rich tapestry that is Paul Sladen. Exactly, and, exactly. And speaking of which, where you live is quite a famous location as well. Some people would know Mansfield, but everybody would know specifically where you live. I live in Serenity from the castle. Yes, it's Bonnie Doon. We're going to Bonnie Doon. We're going to Bonnie Doon, and the, uh, the Kerrigan's Holiday House of Bonnie Doon is... Uh, not far from me, on the uh, other side of the lake. It's a beautiful part of the world. And, uh, yes, that movie certainly did um, put Bonnie Doon on the map. And uh, <laughs> we love it here. It, it, it's a fantastic little community. It's only about 300 people permanent, but that gets to about 10,000 during the uh, the peak holiday period. So it's right on the beautiful Lake Eildon, and we've got access to the, uh, the rivers and Mount Buller. Uh, which has got snow on it at the moment. So we've got the high country and the lake and the rivers. It's a, it's a 
beautiful um, uh, part of the world to live in. One might say serene. It is serene, mate. It is indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to ask this because this is partially about uh, getting to understand you as essentially the head of or one pillar of the head of our organisation. For all that you have on your plate, it has been a rough couple of years. Do you want to tell us about what has gone on in your personal life in the last couple of years? Well, two years ago, um, uh, it was in May, yeah, two years ago, uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. So she had stage four cancer, which was in her lungs and her liver. And um, we were told that there was no cure, that uh, any um, treatment that she received would be palliative and not curative. So she endured uh, about six months of chemo. And they said, "Look, it's um, not doing anything. It's only get it. It's only making you sicker." So stopped doing chemo, and she passed away. Yeah, on the twenty fifth of May last year. So yeah, look, that was a very. Um, as anybody who has lost a loved one will understand, that um, it was a very uh, sad and traumatic time. And uh, we have three beautiful children. Um, yeah, you know, they're uh, young adults um, in their late teens to their early 20s. Uh, so it was especially hard on them. But, you know, going back to the, the shed movement, um, I was very well supported by my local shed, um, the Mansfield Men's Shed, and I still am. Um, the president there rings me regularly to check on how I'm going. Uh, but also, you know... Um, state associations all around Australia. I got messages of support and sympathy and condolences, etc. Um but yeah, it was a shit of a time. I don't I don't um, mind saying that. And uh you know, here we are, the twelve month anniversary this week and uh yeah, it's um So how are you doing? Yeah, look, I'm still getting through it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm doing okay, but look, I I'm not afraid to talk about it and um I had people <laughs> Um, God love them. I had a, had a couple of mates, a um, couple within the, uh, the shed movement who would ring me up very regularly and um, I think they had me on suicide watch, but I certainly had no thoughts at all of self-harm or anything like that. Uh, I wouldn't go down that path. But Yeah, but I had to take time off from, um, uh, from all my roles, which I did, and uh, thankfully John Sharples, the vice president, took over um, at answer in my role. Um, but yeah, um, after about six months, it was time to come back. And my wife knows how important sheds are to me and my role in men's sheds. And she she would have wanted me to continue on. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's still difficult. I have my moments, but um, uh, slowly getting there, Aaron. Yeah. If nothing else, your life journey gives you. Uh, a very specific empathy for what a lot of our shedders' lives have unfolded like around, even though you're a younger man than many of the other shedders, you've perhaps experienced a lot of the things that they have as well. And to have somebody in your role who I guess has their heart in it as well as their head is probably of great value. Uh, well, you know, it, it works both ways. Uh, as I was saying, I was I was very touched with the um, you know, large number of emails that I received from you know, shedders that I haven't even met from around the country, um, you know, from all states saying they had a similar, you know, that they 
had the same experience, you know, losing their wife, um, whether it be cancer or some other disease, uh, I don't know. But just while I'm on that, I, there's one point I want to make, Aaron, and that is the diagnosis uh, of my wife was that it was bowel cancer, that the cancer actually started in the bowel, even though that wasn't what mm-hmm. killed her, it was the liver that, um, you know, that, that was the issue, but it started in the bowel and, and uh, coincidentally, this week is Bowel Cancer Awareness Week. And so for those blokes out there who haven't you know, done the tests, uh, we know that bowel cancer, it's one of the, the largest killers of people between the ages of 50 and 74. And every two years, the, the bowel screening people send out the kit to you. And I strongly encourage those blokes who may be listening or anybody who may be listening who is in that age bracket to actually do that test because had my wife done it, then maybe she'd still be here. But it's, it's uh, as I say, it's just coincidence that it, that'd be Bowel Cancer Awareness Week this week. Yeah. No, but it's a powerful message and, and every cancer is different, but bowel cancer is one of those ones, if you get it early, you can get a great result as well. Exactly. Yep, yep. They say up to 90%, you know, uh, yeah, if you get it early. It's probably not a prospect that anyone particularly relishes, but as as you are testimony to, it beats the hell out of the alternative, doesn't it? It certainly does, mate, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad we found time to catch up. Uh, thank you. A bit of a broad ranging. You've had a an interesting life and uh, fulfill a number of roles. And we had a bit of a roam around the paddock with that one. Didn't even talk footy in the end, but we had a roam around. No, no. <laughs> had a roam around the paddock. And look, thank you. You have been very supportive and a great guide to me personally. And I think we're very lucky to have you as our head in the organisation. And I've really enjoyed our chat today. Thanks for being a part of the Shed Wireless. No worries at all, Aaron. Thank you very much. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rick Woodchip. G'day, setters. Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? I've just been out cleaning out the back shed under direct orders from the missus. You see, we got one of them council collections coming up, and so I have to go through the shed and get rid of anything deemed no longer necessary in her terms, which leaves a lot of room for movement in my terms. The thing is, most of the stuff I'll be throwing out is the stuff I managed to grab from the last council pickup from all the neighbours' piles. It's a vicious bloody recycling circle. A bigger bloody shed, that's all I need, and maybe a bit better filing system for it all. I can kind of understand where she's coming from, though. Every time I go through the process of cleaning up, I seem to find a lot of things I never remembered I even had. And in many cases, I've gone out and bought a replacement. One man's trash is another man's treasure though, as they say. And if someone can get a bit of use out of my old tractor parts, or my girlfriend's old galoshes, good luck to them. Stops it going in the landfill, I suppose. And since the grandkids have come along, I've been a lot more conscious of my environmental footprint and what kind of planet we're going to be leaving them behind. Plenty of things we can do, but it also makes me think about how much I haven't done over the years and the damage done without even thinking about it. Some of the stuff me and the old man used to chuck in the old backyard incinerator you'd get bloody locked up for nowadays, and rightly so. And some of the stuff that went down the drain, crikey, not good. But never too late to try and do some making up for it, and the grandkids seem to be all over it, and even educating me on the subject. Thanks to their strict instruction, there's not much goes to waste in our household, that's for sure. 
If it ain't edible enough for the chooks, the ducks or the dogs, it goes into the compost. And as a payback for doing the right thing, I get myself some fresh eggs and veggies. If only the dog could process it into something a bit more useful than the landmines he drops around the yard. I'm yet to find a purposeful use for them, but leave it with me. There's some dollars in this recycling bizzo too now, mind you, and we've been taking advantage down at the shed. Every little bit helps, said the boys he piddled in the ocean, and a penny here and a penny there can really add up. And between some very clever restoration of bikes and mowers and furniture and the like, and cashing in all the metals and the wire we accumulate, on top of all the cans and bottles we gather up, we can bring in a tidy little income, and have even put it towards some solar panels, which, subsequently, reduces our toxic emissions. Captain Planet, eat your heart out. Us shedders can fix anything, even the hole in the ozone. Anyway, always open to ideas, fellas, so why not get on The Shed Online or The Shed Wireless at menshed.net and let the rest of us know what you guys are doing at your shed or just at home to look after the joint. Mother Nature would be proud of you. Anyway, fellas, looks like old Alfie across the road has just chucked out his yabby pump. I better go snap it up before some other bugger does. All right, fellas. Gotta go. Catch you next week, fellas. See ya. Staying strong. Staying sharp. And staying healthy. With the Shed Wireless. I want to quote from an article on The Shed Online. You'll find it at www.menshed.org. It says, do we want life to be the same? The halt of movement and industry due to the COVID-19 crisis has given us a glimpse of a cleaner world with reports of exceptional blue skies, views of the Himalayas not seen for 30 years, and significant increases in air quality in some of the most polluted cities in the world. These gains are fragile, but perhaps they're a glimpse of what our planet's future could be like. As we emerge from the pandemic, there's an opportunity to build back better, to build what we want to see for our children and build what we dream of for future generations. It's an interesting thought to ponder. And here on The Shed Wireless, we like to ponder interesting thoughts with Stuart Torrance, who is Men's Health Project Officer at AMSA. Hello and welcome once again, sir. G'day, Aaron. How are you going? Yeah, great. Thank you. What's your relationship like with the natural world and the environment? Well, this is unusual. We're normally talking about health. Mm. Now we're uh, actually going to our environment. But the two actually coincide, I think. We might discuss that as we go about our conversation today. Let's do it. Where do health and the environment intersect, in your opinion? The air quality has changed somewhat since COVID-19, since uh, traffic has been reduced substantially, since industry has been uh, reduced substantially. So our air quality in and of of itself uh, has um, increased exponentially, and we've got a taste of what the world could be like. But as uh, restrictions start to back off, we we start to see more and more cars on the road. Uh, Have we really changed? Do we really want life to be the same as it was before? I wonder whether we can and will actually change after the pandemic. Has your relationship with the environment and your attitude to it changed over time? Because 
I don't want to paint anyone with a brush, but I reckon there would be a percentage of shedders across the country from an industrial background. There might even be some who are climate sceptics and the environment has been the preserve of the barefoot hippies, and that sort of thing. So has your relationship with it changed over time? The more I get out into um, nature itself, uh, spend some time uh, in you know, quiet contemplation, the best place to do that is out in nature itself, whether it be on the beach looking out to sea or whether it be up a mountain uh, looking into the blue skies or in deep in the bush looking at all the greenery and uh, trees and what nature has to offer. I, I think it it has to change the way we feel, the way we interact with our surroundings personally it quietens my thoughts reduces my anxiety and i can actually hear my heartbeat you know we call that mindfulness and we've talked about that in the uh, in uh, past talks having a better environment has got to be better uh, for our our own health and well-being generally it's a bit of a challenge to shedders as well in that many of us would say quite proudly that Part of the reason why we're involved in shedding is that we want to make the world a better place. And if we accept what you just said, part of making it a better place is caring for it and making sure that nature has room in the modern world. Well, I think we could all agree on the last five, ten years, there's been a, um, a complete change in perspective as uh, the younger generation has uh, started to awaken to the world that they're going to inherit they've started to make noise in regards to hey guys what are you leaving us what are, what are you doing with this world that will become ours and they've started to make some noise about their wanting change uh, to i suppose be in charge with their their own future direction uh, and they're looking at things like the environment, like climate, like waste. We've sort of lived, I, I suppose, in the last 30 years with a disposable society. From a shed perspective, a lot of these guys went through the, the, second, the end of the Second World War and rationing and all those sort of things were, were in place. And a lot of people see these guys as, uh, may consider them hoarders because they see this piece of wood and they say, that might come in useful later on. I think to a certain extent, we've always had a little element of uh, recycle, reuse, repurpose. We've become lazy in a lot of aspects, but need to recycle and, uh, and gather together the resources that we have has been instilled with us for a long time. But when you look at things like food waste um, uh, and what we actually throw out, uh, our council pickups, and we see piles and piles of stuff thrown out onto the onto the curb uh, to go to landfill, um, it starts me wondering whether we've actually lost what was incorporated back in the day when restrictions were in place. So maybe history is repeating itself. A couple of threads I want to pick up there. It does occur to me from time to time where you'll go to one of those shops and you'll see a T-shirt for $2.20, for example, and you think somehow the cotton in that T-shirt 
was grown somewhere by a farmer, then it was transported on a truck, then it was turned into fabric, then someone cut that fabric, mm. then there was some dye, then it got on a, another truck, then it somehow it got from Bangladesh to here. And you think to yourself, $2.20? Something is going wrong if we can buy it for that and turn it around and throw it out again in three months' time, probably because it's rubbish, it's shrunk or whatever else. And you just... I mean, I remember seeing something not so long ago uh, in my grandfather's era, 120 years ago, they used to have removable collars and cuffs so that you could wear the same shirt three or four days because people couldn't afford to have five or six different work shirts and you just change the collars and the cuffs each day so that you looked clean and smelt all right. And I'm struck by how disposable we've become. I think you've just started a new trend, Aaron. (laughs) Collars and cuffs, you reckon? I I can see designers going out. That will be the latest new accessory. I'm, I am a lot of things, my friend, but a fashion leader is not one of them, I can assure you. Oh, maybe you've just stepped up and become a trendsetter. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to pick up that you said there as well is food waste. I mean, I don't even know if people think of that as an environmental issue, even though it is very much an environmental issue. But the idea that you can go down to the supermarket, you know, and drop $250 on next to nothing in food, and then a week later, 40% of it's going in the bin and thrown out, it's it's an economic crime, let alone an environmental one. Yeah, well, you know, this is the reason we uh, are on the treadmill, so to speak, so as we can waste, uh, so we can be wasteful. I know in my household, I'm the uh, food waste Nazi um, simply because I seem to live on what we call LOs, which are leftovers. And I uh, invariably go to the fridge and find out what was been, what's been eaten for the last two or three days. And I take that for my lunch and for my snacks uh, all through for the next few days. We don't throw out a heck of a lot of food waste in our household. It either goes into my stomach or into the worm farm. Both of them are... Uh, I I think, a good use of the food. But my wife and I started to use a fruit and veg buying group some years ago, and it actually raised my attention to the amount of waste that we do have in that particular area. And we started to use the uh, the food that we had in a totally different way because I was sick of throwing stuff out. You said 40%. I'd say it'd have to be more than that in some situations. I, I don't know where I got that number from, but I read or heard that somewhere at some point, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I actually think it's uh, a lot higher than that. And then when you go to places like the States, where, you know, for an extra dollar, you can have another half a cow, their servings of food in, in restaurants are, are phenomenal sizes. You just can't jump over them. So... Um, a lot of that waste uh, is going to landfill. And I think we need to be wiser uh, about what we do with uh, what we throw away. We've got to recycle, don't we? Yeah. We, we're sort of sold this idea from very early on in life that more equals better. And so much of the health stuff that we talk about is about learning that 
more isn't always better, that there is actually an appropriate amount. So while a piece of lasagna is great, 10 pieces of lasagna is not. A beer is good. 40 beers is not good. That This idea that more is better, and gee, we buy into it with food. We really do. I, I like um, your analogy of lasagna, and I just want to point out here, <laughs> right here and right now, two days later, the lasagna tastes so much better and is so much worthwhile saving. <laughs> you know what? If uh, somebody wants to send us an email, the challenge is what is the food that tastes better as leftovers and it does in the original and 100% lasagna is one uh, Chinese food can be some Chinese foods better <laughs> two or three days on uh, shepherd's pie age as well there's a few good ones out there if it starts to grow fur it's a little too old <laughs> sure sure we we are not endorsing furry food here not at all that one's for the worm farm or for the dog you mentioned the worm farm before. Tell us a little more about your worm farm. Oh, mate, my, my worms eat just about anything that uh, can be thrown out from our house. The The only thing that goes out in my black bin is um, plastic packaging, which the more I do it, the more I hate it. But uh, the worms get all our uh, excess food waste that I don't eat and that the kids don't eat. And, mate, they're f- very healthy and then... Every, I think it's every once a month, one of the bins goes straight into the garden, just tipped out on top and dug in through. And, mate, I'll tell you what, my rhubarb loves it. Absolutely thrives on those worm castings and um, decomposed uh, materials. Yeah, it uh, makes my uh, garden flourish, but uh, keeps the worms nice and healthy. And I'm happy to do that. Yeah, and it's as simple as, as you say, once you get it established, it's absolutely brilliant. We had one for years here, and then unfortunately on a really hot day, we uh, we cooked our worms, but it's, it's something that we need to uh, get back on top of and get going again because the, the kids loved it as well. They got a heap out of being involved in it, and it's some good important lessons for the next generation. Absolutely true, absolutely true. Taking the words of Winston Churchill that's on the uh, Shed Online, if not now, when? If not us, who? And in regards to changing what the future holds, not just for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children, we need to look at what our carbon footprint is, what our food waste is like, and how we recycle things. And the best way to find out how to recycle things is get to your local shed. These guys do some amazing things with things that we would normally throw out. Great to talk to you, Stuart, and I do encourage you to head online to the Men's Shed online. Check out the blog that we've both been quoting from, but also you can go on there and there's a link that will help you calculate your carbon footprint and give you a few clues and even the opportunity to pledge how you might reduce it. There's some really good tips there for fighting food waste. And as I say, regardless of whether you care about it environmentally, there's a lot of incentive to care about it economically. So there's some great food saving habits there as well. And there's also some recycling tips. So a good read, but also some good jumping off resources if you actually want to turn some of this into practical real world outcomes. 
Stuart Torrance, Men's Health Project Officer at AMSA. Thank you once again. You'll be back for a special Men's Health Week edition coming up shortly. But thank you for helping us to stay strong and healthy once again on The Shed Wireless. This is The Shed Wireless. Why do men respond shoulder to shoulder? It's a weird concept. Well, let me ask you another question. At what point in life did you feel a little vulnerable? Maybe you feel it right now. Maybe it was when you lost your job back in the day. Maybe it was when you were retired and you weren't that person with that title anymore. Maybe you had a barrage go bad. Maybe you did time. I know for me, one of the biggest struggles was when I first had a child around. I was a lot to take in. At that time when you were vulnerable, what worked and what didn't? What does it mean to be shoulder to shoulder? Professor John McDonald is a patron of the Australian Men's Shed Association and the Director of Men's Health at Western Sydney University and a dear friend to us here on the Shed Wireless. Hello, Professor. Welcome back. Thank you very much, Aaron. When was a moment when you felt vulnerable, when you felt your least bulletproof? Can I come back to that in a minute? Because um, at my age, I forget things. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I'll make a note. (laughs) Yes. I'll take it, make a list. What did come to mind when you, you said this and when we feel vulnerable was a real story about about men, which I heard in the, in the context of farming communities, in the context of lots of foreclosures, in the context of lots of stress for families who'd worked on a, a piece of land for generations and who had the banks were taking it back. And it's a true story. So this man, he loaded up his um, truck with, the things they could get on, and his his family got into the car, into the truck, and they they drove up to the main road on their way out. And as he turned to to close the gate, his neighbour, whose gate was just next to it, was standing waiting for him, who'd shared lots. It makes me quite emotional remembering it. Who had lots of the of the you can imagine the hardships and and the joys of um of, of working the land. And he was standing at the gate and. Well, all they did was, he didn't talk, they didn't chat, they just turned and they both looked at at the land that they'd worked together almost, um, nearby one another and sharing lots of things. And they just stood there and looked Mm. shoulder to shoulder and then one got in his car and drove away. And that, that, that sharing that went on there seems to me to be so important beyond words. And men, lots of men know that, that you can, I certainly know it, that them... But I've been ill, for example, occasionally, <laughs> and I, I'm not against hospitals when I'm talking about health. You need them sometimes. And come back to what you say about being vulnerable. I was paralyzed at one point about 17 years ago, totally paralyzed. And of course, my kids came and were horrified to see their dad in this state and couldn't eat properly. I couldn't eat myself, all that kind of stuff. What happened? Why were you like that? Oh, well, it's a disease called a rather fancy disease called Guillain-Barre. And I think it was because of lots of stress. It deal, it attacks the axions and the nerves yourself. And you um, used to be called the creeping paralysis. And they used to put people in, in iron lungs. But one young doctor took a, took a guess and diagnosed it. And uh, I was lucky. Uh, they put me in hospital and through a process called plasmapheresis. I was rescued and I became 100% well. For, for, for a period after the, the total paralysis, I was just lying in bed. And that's the point. How vulnerable can you feel? You can't do anything. 
and um, I had a few visitors, but my now still one of my three best friends, he just came. Literally, he just came and he sat next to me. And in a sense, he didn't have to say anything. And he's still there. I mean, I'm going into hospital um, next month for a shoulder operation. And he lives quite far away. But I had a text saying, don't forget to tell me what day so I can come and take you there. That's a very short text, but I, I, I know what's behind it. You know, I have been teaching about social determinants for to people who've been trained to think that uh, health is medicine, and I've been doing that for a long time in lots of countries. And one thing I read and I heard from a very famous man, he said, if you want to live well and live longer than you normally expect, it's important, of course, to do all the things they tell you about eating well and exercise, all important. He said, but I can guarantee you from my research, he said, if you want to live well and longer, have three good friends. It sounds sentimental, but in fact, there's a lot of evidence to show that if you've got three good friends and they don't have to be people that you talk to a lot, they have to be people, they should be people that you can, you know, are there for you. Um, then that's um, so important. And I, I, I still believe it. And my students would say to me, <laughs> okay, sir, Professor McDonald, you, t you tell us to have three good friends. Do you have three good friends? <laughs> and it's good to be challenged because at my age, some of my friends are not there anymore. So I have to so confess to the students that I was looking around for more. <laughs> but yes, the idea of being vulnerable and having knowing that there's somebody there who understands and who's non-judgmental about you and accepting of you, very important, not just for your psychological health, but for your whole health. For you, Because we know more that now about mental health and physical health going together. Very important. It's funny when I recall my own vulnerability at various points in life, one of the most surprising things or one of the most resonant things about it is when it all went to hell for me, for example, I lost a high-profile job at one point and it was a very public takedown and all of that. Not that I did anything wrong, the place closed, but I certainly lost uh, a high-profile sexy job, if you will. And people gathered around me at that time and other people abandoned me. And if you had asked me ahead of time who would be on that abandoned list and who would be on the surround me list... I reckon I would have got most of those names wrong. And I will never forget the people who aimed up when I was unfashionable. That's so important. I have had the experience of people who who I didn't really expect to be there for me, but who were there for me and I needed them. Mm. Important. Important. And the sad reality is one or two of the people who you might think have got your back possibly don't. So <laughs> one should be prepared for that reality as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about communication because I feel like it is a very, talking about fashionable and unfashionable, it's a very fashionable idea to talk everything through, to share your feelings, to take people into your confidence. And I know that that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people in general and men in particular. What do you feel about the pressure to talk it out? Oh, well, I'm afraid I'm a very bad person about that in men's health because from many years ago, I've been saying to people who say the problem with men is that they don't talk. First of all, I think that men do talk if, if in the right circumstances, in the right environment. But secondly, I'm not convinced that talking itself is what's needed. 
And in fact, um, that this pressure to make men talk, I think, is um, sometimes very misplaced to force men to talk. I mean, I've I've seen professionals come to a group of men and say he came and he was part of an organization which no longer exists. But anyhow, he said, um, OK, talk to me. And they said, well, we've got together and what we want, uh, we want a designated lane at the swimming pool um, so that we can have it just for one hour every three days or something like this. And he said, that's not what you need. What you need is to talk. What you, <laughs> what you need is to be able to talk to one another. He was repeating what he'd heard in his training, that men don't talk and that men need to talk. And of course, sometimes talking is important, of course. And if we see that someone has pent up feelings and our intuition would tell us, hey, okay, maybe we should put up a situation where someone who needs to talk can talk. But I do resist the idea that as one man said, he said on the radio, and I, I became angry and phoned ABC. They brought some American psychologist who said, if only men were more like women and talked like women. I was so angry. Men don't have to talk like women. Let women do their own thing. That's fine if women talk more than men. And they do. That's fine. But that doesn't mean to say we should make men into women or to talk like women. There should be communication, as we say in the shed, shoulder to shoulder, whatever, contact with other people, but not necessarily talking. That's, I think, and I'm on record as saying that. And to be frank, if you want me to be academic, even just yesterday, there was a round table with, um, with the Minister for Suicide Prevention, and I wasn't the only person on it, but there were people present who still think that we'll stop suicide in the country, which is a very sad situation, by getting men to talk. Now, I agree, it's important if someone's isolated that you stop the isolation and try to support them. But there's no evidence that getting people to talk in itself is going to bring down suicide in the country. You need to do something about why men are feeling lousy, why men are feeling bad, if it's unemployment, if it's relationship breakdown, if it's whatever. But um, I have to do something about it and not just talk about it. So I'm afraid I'm a very bad person for that, Aaron. I'm on record as being the professor who says talking is not enough. No, and it's part of the reason why I asked you because I, I knew that you had that perspective. And I, I think it's possibly valuable to say at this point that if you are a gifted communicator, then you ought to use that weapon, you know, and we've talked uh, on other occasions about the need for somebody to provide some outreach that somebody won't necessarily walk in the door. And so somebody's got to provide some level of communication. But we've also heard from you in this chat that sometimes as simple as a text going, I can drop you to the doctors on Tuesday morning if you need. Sometimes that's as much communication as is required, or it might be a shoulder to shoulder thing. What it's saying is if you're a communicator, by all means, use that weapon. If you're not, you shouldn't feel you're a failure. Is that a fair paraphrase? What I would like to say is that people shouldn't be shy of the shed if they think they're going to be forced to talk. Yeah. That, that's the point. If talking comes, it comes, and that's good. But men shouldn't be shy of the shed and think, oh, God, that's somewhere where they're going to say to me, tell me how you're feeling. Yes, I'm no, you won't be on the psychiatrist lounge, will you? <laughs> We're going to have another conversation really soon, but that seems a sensible place to uh, put a pin in that one. Always love both your wisdom and your challenge of convention. Professor John McDonald, patron of the Australian Men's Shed Association and director of Men's Health at Western Sydney University. Thank you. Thank you. Now on the Shed Wireless, let's see who's working in the shed. 
We're working in the shed in WA this time around at the Albany Men's Shed. The motto is working for our health and the community. And they've been doing exactly that. And the rumour is they may have recently opened the doors again there as well. Gary Duncan joins us from Albany's Men's Shed. Hello and welcome to the Shed Wireless, Gary. How are you? Great, thank you. Is it true? Have you blokes been back in the shed? Yeah, we're back in the shed, but we have got a lot of restrictions on what we do. Um, you know, we need to uh, get them to sanitise their hands as they come in. Uh, we've got one person that signs them in, so everyone's not using the biro. Um, we've got 1.5 metre spacing at the, at the tables where we can sit and have a coffee. Um, just general um, spacings that we've got to have. Um, we've got to sanitise the tables, the chairs, the door handles everything before they start and once they've finished the day and we've got to wipe down the uh, you know, the drills and things like that. How's that all gone? Yeah, that's gone. It's gone exceptionally well. We have got a um, limited number of 20 at this stage. Um, so we have got a woodworking shed and totally separate to that, we have got a metalworking shed so we can have 20 in each of those. We just have to not have morning tea altogether. Um, but, you know, we're looking, or WA's looking at this Friday being able to have 100, so we're, we're virtually back in business, but we've got to, got to still abide by all our rules and regulations, which is uh, um, personal space and, and um, the sanitising and things like that. What have the blokes said about their time out of the shed? Did they miss it? Oh, yes. Yes, we, they did miss it. We've got... A couple or couple, we've got probably 20, 30 guys that really need it because they're they're on their own. Um, and you know the um, the what the men's shed is built around. It's times like this that they really need the men's shed, but we didn't have it. But in doing that, we um, did create a couple of our members who are who are quite with it. Uh, did get on with it and organise. Um, we. Between the committee, we picked out numbers of guys and we uh, would ring them once a week. Um, as well as that, we got onto a newsletter which um, we distributed to all our guys. Um, the ones that weren't on uh, internet, we had them posted out. But in the, uh, in the newsletter, we covered one person's life story, if you like, each issue and um, covered things that were happening. Uh, we also involved guys in taking a photo of their sheds at home uh, because a lot of us uh, spent a lot of time while we were at home cleaning our sheds and, and getting them back into working order. Um, I won't tell you who had the worst shed, <laughs> but that was, that was just an exercise to involve the guys and to um, keep them occupied in the time that we were in lockdown. Why was that? really important to you? Why did everyone go to that effort? It was more important to keep the guys um, in contact. Um, you know, your, your shed is uh, your social hub, if you like, for a lot of these guys and um, fellowship and, and things like that. It was to keep them involved, keep them doing something. They need, needed to be um, kept busy. Uh, they needed to have contact which we've, we've since found now the shed's back is how much they did miss 
the actual um, interaction with other men and uh, their little group, if you like. It's like a family. Um, they've, they've just missed the family. Did they appreciate the effort? Oh, yes. Yes, they did. Um, our guys have um, appreciated it very, very much. Um, and, you know, we, we started by when we first got the okay with 10, having being allowed to have 10 people, we sort of busted up into groups and we'd have morning and um, afternoon tea for for the for a group of guys and get nine plus you one of us in here to um, have morning tea with them and have a talk. So that was for about a week or fortnight before we were allowed to actually go go further. Um, and look, it's amazing the guys that came in for that and and loved it. You know, just just the interaction over their cup of coffee and piece of cake and things like that. I've mentioned to you previously, I think Albany is one of the most beautiful places in the world. That whole Southwest WA is truly God's country. But tell us a little about your town before you shed, if you would. Yeah, the the town is um, very nice. It's very picturesque. Um, we have a lot of um, places you can go and have a look at and uh, things like that. It's... Um, got mountains out of town and it's got you know the gap and the salmon holes and places like that you can visit um the people in it of course are very very um good and very generous also to mention um they they appreciate us also very much is tourism perhaps the biggest industry gary because you're sort of on that travel trail aren't you in the southwest yes yes um tourism does play a very big part and of course we're the same as everybody else. We've taken a hell of a hit in the last um, few weeks. But uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and um, we'll see how we go after it. But tourism is a big part of our industry, yes. What's your mix of men at the shed? Yeah, we've, we've got guys that um, have been office johnnies all their life um, and have come in and uh, they're learning new new things to do. I've had a couple come to me and say that, you know, they never thought they'd be be actually doing what they're doing now, which is quite good woodwork and um, things like that. We've got guys that are farmers that have come in and as long as we've got a lump of wire here, they can fix anything. <laughs> um, yeah, we've, we've got all walks of life here. We've, we've got uh, quite, quite elderly guys. Um, we've got um, some that are quite younger than normal. We've got some that, um, unfortunately, their woodworking days are finished, but um, they love the social atmosphere and they come down and they'll sit and drink coffee and talk and walk around and give all the other guys a heap of cheek and what for. Sounds like it's a decent size shed. Yes, it is. It's, uh, we've got about 150 members. We've got actually two sheds. We've got um, one which has got all our woodwork working machinery in it and uh, and a machine room if you like and then totally separate to that we have a, a decent sized metal work shed and a storage shed which is one of those uh, 
rooms I think everybody even has in their house that they don't like to show too many people. There's always that project to go back to after COVID, isn't there? There certainly is, yes. Do you engage in community activities much or does the community come to you with projects? The community comes to us with projects. We also um, go and there's sometimes a... uh, market sort of type thing where we go and we can set up and show them the sort of thing things we do. We um, go to our local show and have a stall for our local show and show them what we can do and what we can't do. Um, yeah, our, ca- our calendar's pretty pretty good, actually. Um, we, we work here three mornings a week um, and do a lot of projects. We do a lot of um, things like for the... City Council, we build parks, like park tables and chairs for their picnic areas, um, park benches. Uh, yeah, you know, the community comes to us and we go to them. It sounds like it's a really successful shed. What have you learned about the keys to making a shed run well? It's keep the guys occupied. I, I sometimes get into trouble because um, they, they reckon I'm a slave driver. But... Um, the principle is that if they want something to do, they, they come and see me and, and I give them a job. Um, some guys are just quite happy with walking around and talking and uh, giving your mouth a little cheek and things like that. And look, that, that's perfectly all right with us because Men's Shed is here for the men that are, that are in it at the time. Um, and if, look, if they don't want to do anything, they don't have to do anything. It's... Um, and, and that's how we try and keep them happy. They've all come to be occupied, if you like, for for the full morning, three times a week. Now, how they occupy themselves is okay with with me, um, as long as if they want something to do, we've got something there for them to do. And most of them are quite happy with helping us with our projects, which are for the community, which keeps us running. Have you got a project on the go right now? Yes, I have. I'm doing a, um, a, a countertop at the moment. I've just put it through the whiz, and um, now I'm just picking it all out and then filling the imperfect bits with resin, and then I'll put it together. And you've got a counter in mind for it. It's being built bespoke, is it? Yes, it's, been, it's spoken for. It's being built for a reason, yes. And what sort of timber are you using? Yes, it's a piece of Maori, and um, it's actually uh, come from one of our uh, members' yards. It was a tree in his yard which got cut down, and we uh, slabbed it all off quite a few years ago, and uh, we're now now using a bit of it. What's it like to work with? Yeah, it's quite a nice um, wood to work with. Uh, it's it's not an absolute perfect piece of timber which makes it it makes it even better for the resin and things like that you get a better effect out of it with a few impurities in it how long have you been working on that for uh probably about uh two two um two weeks which is what six days (laughs) i was wondering whether you're going to say two weeks two months or two years then (laughs) no 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 but actually at the same time i'm the shed manager so i'm sort of running around checking guys out so I'm not sort of on it full time. What else are they working on in the shed? The few interesting projects? Yeah, at the moment we've got um, we've got people that are a bit um, artistic and um, at the moment there we had a few bits of timber 
laying around over the shed. So they're turning them into totem poles, and uh, which is which has got quite a few guys in the shed involved in it at the same time. Which um, you know they've they've sort of divided the poles, if you like, into sections and and put the challenge out there for some of the shed members to um, have a go at doing some decoration, decoration, if you like, or doing one part of the totem pole. Where will they wind up in the end? They'll finish up in our garden. Um, we've got a beautiful big blue tree in our garden, which was made by our welding section. It's a steel um, blue tree which is quite an eyepiece of the town. We have quite a few people that drive past and stop and take photos and things like that of our blue tree. That was made in our metalwork section. Um, We've got some picnic tables that are being built at the moment for four people. We uh, had a big project last year where we made 10 of of the picnic tables in one piece, which was for a rodeo, which was held in Boddington. Brilliant. Do you feel like both personally and as a shed that there might have been a bit of a mixed blessing in this whole lockdown period in that everyone has got a fresh appreciation for what you're doing there? Yes, they've come, they've come back and they're all, all fresh and all ready to go. Um, but a, a lot of them did miss the shed, missed it badly. It's a reminder why we're doing this, huh? It certainly is, yes. Um and of course, as I said earlier, it makes it very hard because the, the thing, the, the men's shed side of it is built around is um, looking after these guys uh, in their, keep them um, socialising and um, things like that. And the one time that we really needed, we got locked down. So it made it very hard. But look, we, we kept in touch with our guys all the way through and um, we... Also added in there that if they needed or wanted anything, there was two or three of us that they could ring and uh, we'd, we'd sort it out for them. Do you blokes get irritated when people call it Albany? No, no, um, it doesn't worry me. It does worry some people, but it doesn't worry me at all. You can call, call me or the town, whatever you like, as long as you don't call me late for breakfast. <laughs> that is a key to a long and happy life. Listen, congratulations, because everybody has been talking about how you as a group aimed up to look after your members and how you really stepped up when everyone was in their own set of challenging circumstances in their own personal lives. And all over Australia, people have been talking about how Albany aimed up, looked after its men and is back up and running again. So that's a credit to all of you. And we're really glad to have been able to hear a little bit about it here on the Shed Wireless. Yeah, I'd also at this stage like to thank Answer themselves for being there for us all the way through also. You're, there's other organisations that are sort of supposed to be looking after us as well, but you blokes were there and you were sending stuff out to us all the time, which was keeping us informed as to where we were in the situation and what we could do and what we couldn't do. It was it was really good. Thank you very much for that. No, thank you, Gary. And I mean, it's just a matter of scale. We had the same challenge that you had. We exist to stop isolation, and then isolation became compulsory. So how do you deal with that? You dealt with it at the really local level, and we've tried to deal with it at the national level. Thank you for your kind words. They are appreciated as well. 
No worries, Aaron. All the best to you and all the men there. Please stay safe. We look forward to it all scaling up. And thanks for being our guests in Working in the Shed. No worries. Thank you very much. Gary Duncan there from Albany Men's Shed in Western Australia. Working in the Shed, if you would like to have us visit you in your shed, it's as simple as dropping us an email. And you don't have to put your own hand up. Dob in someone else from your shed and we'll give them a bell and have a yarn, just like we did with Gary. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. We've pulled the door closed on this episode of The Shed Wireless. Thank you, David. And we're looking forward to the special Men's Health Week episode next week with somebody who is a great supporter of Men's Sheds and somebody you've uh, become increasingly fond of, David Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. Dave's been, a, you know, everyone knows him as a, the V8 super driver. Um, he's done quite well there. And he's a bloody lovely bloke. He's been a big you know, supporter and he's um, an ambassador for our Spanner in the Works program. Yeah, knowing over the years and speaking to Dave many on many occasions and knowing part of his backstory and the trials and tribulations that he's been through um, in his career and his personal life, I think he'll you know, um, provide a, a great deal of insight into that next week and you know, hopefully we might talk to him again a bit later on and you know, can tell us a bit more about the, the mechanics and the engineerings of the V8 industry as, as well. But uh, looking forward to catching up with Dave next week. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things where he uh, literally has his foot hovering over the accelerator, keen to get going again. And, uh, yeah, we talk about how he's managing that as well. We're available now via certain community radio stations. And if you can't hear us on yours, if they don't have the show, put them in touch with us and we'll help them out. So we are gradually rolling out on various community radio stations. It's just a case of making a connection with them there. But you can also find The Shed Wireless on Apple iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Red Circle, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe so that each new episode gets delivered to you. If you can give us a rating and or a review, that's really helpful because it promotes it in the search system so that other people can find us but most of all we just want you to share amongst your network email newsletters word of mouth ring a mate give him the tip send the shed wireless via the shed telegraph that's where the greatest value is and you've been doing that superbly we can't believe the numbers that are listening to the shed wireless where it's happening both right around australia and across the globe so on behalf of david helmers i'm aaron carney saying thanks for listening we'll see you next time around on the shed wireless